0: Hello, and welcome to the third series of the Bold Flavours podcast. I'm Timo, founder and CEO of Gusto. At Gusto, our vision is to be the most loved way to eat dinner. And we currently deliver millions of meals every week. Our purpose is to build amazing products that have positive impact on people and the planet. And we are customer and culture obsessed. From every episode, you can expect frank and fascinating conversations on leadership, what makes a person tick, and scaling businesses. Since starting Gusto in 2012, I've spoken with so many amazing, inspirational, and talented people who have shaped my thinking. This podcast is all about sharing some of these experiences with you. Today, I'm talking to David, the founder of Signal AI. His company is using technology to augment decision making, and he counts Google, Deloitte and Bank of America as his customers. David only started in 2013 at the age of 25. And since then, he's raised over $40 million and now has a team of 200 people. I love how humble, reflective and self-aware David is. In today's episode, David and I will speak about how his entrepreneurial parents and Jamie Oliver shaped his thinking, how he sees this journey in five distinct chapters, and how he sees the world of AI. David, thanks so much for joining today and sharing your amazing story with me and everyone listening in. But before we speak about Signal AI and all your amazing success, just tell me where you grew up.
1: Thanks, Tim, and thanks very much for having me uh, on the podcast today. So, yes, yeah, so I was I was born and I've I've grown up in uh, in London, in the kind of Camden Town area. Both of my it's parents it's... are from kind of the southern 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 Africa. My dad's from Zambia originally, and my mum's from Port Elizabeth in 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 South Africa, and they. Emigrated to to London over 30 years ago, kind of leaving leaving a country in South Africa that was in a lot of political upheaval and a lot of challenges. It was it was still the apartheid or the near the end of the apartheid when when they yeah. left South Africa, and so yeah, they came they came to London with with almost nothing as as uh, as kind of immigrants to this country, and together built a built a fantastic business together. Actually, it's an executive search. A recruitment company. And so I've kind of grown up, although in London, both with a kind of immigrant mentality, I think, and and also a kind of entrepreneurial streak in my life because you know around our dinner table was the continuous conversation about building their company and, and growing their business and both the challenges and, and the great pleasures that that come with doing that. And and uh, and so both of those things have influenced me greatly, I think, in, in starting my own company.
0: And how, how do you feel like were you influenced in your childhood, you know, given, given your parents didn't grow up in the UK? Like, what, what are the things kind of that that stayed with you, I guess?
1: Yeah, so I think, uh, you know, it, it influenced me greatly. And I think, um, you know, I know many other startup founders and, and entrepreneurs who also have this sort of immigrant background, if you like, either their parents either their parents or, or themselves having, having come to this country or to the U.S., same,
0: uh, same here. Yes, yeah, exactly. of course.
1: Yeah. And so I think that I think that builds in you a certain, a couple of things. Uh, one, I think a certain outlook on the world, a, a perspective uh, as an outsider looking in. And and often I think that that sort of mentality is is really helpful when when building a company that's aiming to disrupt a, an incumbent industry or or a market. It enables you to to potentially see the the you know the challenges and the opportunities that. exist Exist within that within that legacy market. Certainly, for me, I, I grew up with a certain with both that sort of outlook, that perspective as a as a sort of disruptor and an outlier. Kind of all, almost always feeling a little bit like um, an outsider in the schools I went to and the the, the kind of the social context I, I grew up in. You know, whether that was playing in sports teams, etc. I kind of had this outsider mentality, and I think that made me. A little bit rebellious. And I certainly, you know, had my fair share of run-ins at school when I was when I was growing up, and you know, I was a bit of a disruptor. But but I also think it it gave me this sort of yeah this this outlook and this perspective of someone who wanted to challenge the status quo of of seeing things slightly differently and wanting to wanting to you know change things for the better. And when I was younger, that sort of energy I think was what maybe got me in a little bit of trouble, whether it was at school or, or elsewhere. But as I grew up, I think I kind of learned to channel that that rebellious streak in a really positive way. And certainly that's what what helped shape my thinking when I started Signal and, and as I built the company, that ability to kind of challenge the status quo and see the areas for, 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 for improvement in the in the market and, and industry that we operate in.
0: Uh, it's really fascinating. I, I also had my challenges at school and failed 10th grade because I decided not to go anymore. And and at some point, I think it dawned upon my parents or myself that I just need to channel all my energy into positive stuff and, and find like a great outlet um for all that excess energy. Yes. Um, and then it kind of changed and there was a big inflection point and I got great grades did really well in high school and university but it kind of took a long time i think for for myself to get to know myself and for my parents to understand um what to do with all that energy and then you mentioned so your parents kind of started a business scaled a successful business like what what kind of values did they teach you how did it influence you until today
1: yeah, well, it's—I mean—they've they, built a phenomenal business, but actually, I mean, it's—it's it's interesting that you use the word scale. That you know, that 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 idea of 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 scaling of of kind of hyper growth is—is is I, I think something in some ways you know not unique but 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 certainly promoted heavily in the industry that you and i obviously operate in this Mm -hmm. kind of tech enabled growth kind of venture capital backed environment actually my my parents for the last you know you know 30 years have built a market leading company but they haven't you know tried to or, or desired to scale that company you know they haven't grown internationally they they built a brilliant business with with great margins that that serves you know a phenomenal set of clients and delivers a great quality service but they almost purposefully kept it at this kind of boutique size and stage interestingly and they've had the same offices in primrose hill for 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 i think over 25 years you know this, wow. this little set of muse offices and you know 30 odd or 40 odd people who 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 work for them but i think what i learned from them was it was were a couple of very very important tenants um which certainly have influenced my approach to to, to building a company i mean i think first and foremost Everything they that they do is built around the people in their organization. And obviously, they both, you know, they run an executive search company. So their, their focus is on hiring fantastic people for, for the companies that they work with. But actually, inside of their organization, they, they always had this very flat, very egalitarian structure. You know, and this is way before that became a very popular concept within the, within the tech landscape and the kind of Silicon Valley influence. You know, they built an environment where you know, young people and experienced people would work together side by side and and, and create, you know, great output for their clients. Um, And they, you know, they, my mum particularly believed in fostering young talents, getting, you know, really bright graduates and helping them grow and develop. And so I think that that kind of core value of of treating people well, of, you know, having an organisation that is, is on the side of transparency, that encourages young people to take kind of leaps in their career influenced me heavily. And then I think I also got from my my parents a kind of, uh, and again, maybe it's linked to that immigrant attitude in a way, you know, a healthy dose of both kind of skepticism, but also self-belief that actually, you know, you have a, you have a right to be in the room, you know, and I think, um, my mum, who, who really is the, the, the front and the face of the business, you know, she's worked with some phenomenal businesses and, and, you know, at an incredibly senior level board level across, across the country. And I think she always, uh, both felt in some ways, probably secretly a little bit like an imposter, but at the same time, always took that opportunity to be in the room, no matter who who was there and how important they were. And, you know, I think that that gave me a lot of confidence. Um, you know, when I founded the company at 25, you know, very young, you know, very inexperienced relatively to be confident that actually, you know, if I knew my material, if I understood my market and my customer really well, I had a right to be in the room and, you know, I had a right to be doing what I was doing, uh, whether I was working with older and more experienced people, et cetera.
0: And t- t- talk to me about kind of that day or moment when you sat down with your parents and you said you want to start your own business. I don't know if they they dreamed about you taking over the family business one day. Like, how did they feel? Did they encourage you to kind of start your own thing? Or were they upset? Or like, how, how did it play out in the early days before starting Signal?
1: No, no, it's a great question. I mean, uh, you know, and and I think it's funny thinking back. I could I could give you the very polished, uh, crisp venture capital (laughs) version of the story, but you know, (laughs) as we both know, having started companies, it's never it's never quite as as clean and as as crisp as a single moment or a single. It's often this kind of this odd confluence of 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 events and and series of conversations. But you know, I think naturally, my parents were always incredibly encouraging of the entrepreneurial spirit that I had. I mean, I. I studied English literature at university, and then I did a law conversion course, and and I looked like I was heading towards you know practicing law, and I was starting to work uh, in in a law firm, but very very quickly realised that you know that, that that industry and that environment just wasn't right for me, and and whilst I I had an interest in in law, the kind of application in a in a very large kind of commercial and corporate environment just wasn't the right context for me, and actually. I was then introduced uh, by my mum actually to Jamie Oliver, the chef, uh, who I'm sure is uh, someone that you might of course yeah. uh, <laughs> admire in some capacity. And he was, you know, he was really at the height of his entrepreneurial powers at the time. But he was he was an amazing entrepreneur, you know, someone who had come from you know, uh, you know, uh, untrained in business, you know, very dyslexic, but this brilliant kind of creative entrepreneurial spirit. And and his business had kind of just emerged around him from the force of his personality. And I was able to kind of work in his business and 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 specifically for him for kind of about a year, year and a half. And that was amazing because having come out of that legal context, but also having obviously seen my parents build their business, he outside of my parents, was really the first other entrepreneur, you know, true entrepreneur I had really had a chance to get up close to and and experience and be exposed to. And you know that certainly set a set a flame off inside of me you know and i you know i felt very strongly this is this is what i want to do i want to i want to be an entrepreneur i want to create something new i want to build something no one else has built before and that sort of creative energy and spirit that comes with being an entrepreneur was was incredibly attractive to me so whilst i was doing that i was thinking you know what sort of business could could I and was I passionate about building and, and it's kind of odd, you know, as I said, this odd confluence of different events and conversations kind of led me to that. My, my dad was particularly encouraging actually and he had this garage, which was at the end of my parents' road, where he sometimes used it as a kind of ad hoc office and but 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 often it sat empty. And he said, Look, why don't you, you know, why don't you start a business? You know, you I've got this garage at the end of the road, you know, all great all great tech companies are started in garages, you should go and use it <laughs> and build a company there. And and I was kind of seeking an idea and actually Interestingly, my parents have have produced a very, very simple newsletter for about 15 years now. And this newsletter essentially summarizes the most relevant kind of news articles and headlines from the industries that they operate in as an executive search industry. So retail and fashion and consumer goods and private equity, et cetera. And it's very simple. It's put together by a single individual in their organization, but it's incredibly popular. And one weekend, I helped my parents move this email newsletter Onto a service, an email service provider, because it just wasn't scaling, and and they weren't able to, to to send it to the broad number of people anymore. And so I helped them move it over. And for the first time, they had analytics on this on this newsletter. And I, and we looked at the data over the weekend, and I was shocked. You know, twenty five thousand very senior executives received this newsletter on a daily basis. And it was the chairman Mm. of this FTSE 100 company and the CEO of this FTSE 100 company. And I thought, gosh, why are some of the most powerful and important business people in the country relying on a manually- curated, <laughs> produced by a relatively small, a bit successful, you know, executive search firm. And so my dad and I had this series of conversations we spoke about how do business leaders get information. And I said, can I go and interview 20, you know, 20 odd of these executives? And I did, I went and interviewed in my spare time, kind of 20 to 25 of these CEOs and chairmen and asked them how they were able to, you know, how did they get insight from outside of their organization? How did they understand what was happening in their environment? How did they get ahead of risks and opportunities, you know, faster and effectively for their more effectively for their business? And, you know, what I found, uh, perhaps unsurprisingly, but it was shocking to me at the time, was, you know, these business leaders relied on conversations with peers, reading the FT, and maybe a couple industry newsletters. And actually, when it came to understanding their environment and understanding the world around them, they were gravely unsupported in terms of having effective technology and tooling and radar to get ahead of these things. And so that was kind of the original seed of the the business. I was then able to meet, I I started going to meetups.com, you know, meetup.com where you could meet with other kind of Mm like people of interest. And this was eight, nine years ago. I started going to meetups. Around natural language processing and artificial intelligence and machine learning, because I realised this could be a technology that could help me solve that problem. And so I'd rock up to these um, meetups in, you know, in random parts of central London, where there'd be, you know, five or six PhD data scientists hovered around a whiteboard, you know, debating <laughs> some new algorithm. And I'd rock up and say, oh, "I've got this business idea about, you know, b- b- giving intelligence to business leaders," and I'd largely be ignored or laughed out of the room. <laughs> but I did meet a professor there who was a fascinating guy called Udo Krauschwitz, who, who, who was a well-respected professor in the field. And I told him about my business idea and I think he took pity on me. And he said, well, you know, there's this access now to these government grants where if you apply for an academic grant from the government, where you the pitch is essentially to take nascent research, in these cutting edge fields of technology and apply them in a commercial context the government are awarding certain grants so why don't we apply for one together and so we applied for this government wow. grant and we were awarded a couple hundred thousand pounds and udo then introduced me to my now co-founder dr miguel martinez who was finishing his phd in, in machine learning at the time and that was how you know that was how it all came together
0: and we, we started signaling the garage wow really really fascinating and um what, what happened then <laughs> so you were in your garage you know you kind of serendipity you know allowed you to kind of find the kernel idea yes. um you met your co-founder serendipity again you're in the garage you've yes. got a big vision i guess oh I, I guess the vision probably wasn't that um clear back then but you had you know a big ambition yes. you identified a market demand you know what happened then
1: Well, I think, I think, you know, obviously the, 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 the road of entrepreneurship and building and scaling a company is, is a, is a long and windy and twisty Mm -hmm. one. And often it, you know, often it's very circular, you know, so funnily enough, actually, you know, in those early days, I remember, you know, writing on the garage walls, we literally wrote in pen on the garage walls before you even had whiteboards in there. I remember drawing this, this vision that I had for the company and this idea that ultimately you know, machine learning and AI was going to totally transform the way decisions were made within businesses and that if we could aggregate The world's data that sits outside of an organization and be ambivalent about, you know, media type and structure and language and modality and format. And we could aggregate all of that data into a single platform and we could apply machine learning that was trainable by experts within these big businesses. We'd be able to unlock a set of insights that transform the way business leaders made decisions and more specifically help them get ahead of these risks and threats and challenges and opportunities for their businesses faster and more efficiently. And so actually the, the clarity of the vision was always there. I think, you know, what then transpires is that the journey to realizing that vision is a is a, is a is a long and windy road with many twists and turns in it. And, you know, I, I don't know if you've experienced the same thing, but it, it's felt like there's been a, a series of different chapters and phases within the business. And each those chapters and phases have had a different set of challenges um, you know very real and very dramatic challenges that, and and that's what makes doing this so fun and and so rewarding you know the first phase when we were just starting out was okay we've got this big vision you know does this tech even work and i remember we you know we we bought in a data feed of news content from a data provider Miguel, Dr. Miguel, my my co-founder, built an algorithm that could classify that news content into different topics, but we didn't have a user interface. So we somehow managed to plug this this technology into the printer by Bluetooth, and then the printer basically would print off pages of news articles... And we would set it to a particular topic, like I don't know, executives moving jobs or mergers and acquisitions, and then we would wait for the pieces of paper to come out of the printer to see whether the the pieces of paper were relevant to the particular topical theme that we had we had told the algorithm to to classify. And I remember the first time we started printing our pages, and I pulled them out of the printer, and each. Document was about an executive moving jobs, and I was, oh my god, the technology works. You know, I've quit my job and started this business in a windowless carriage. (laughs) You know, I've been vindicated that maybe there's something uh, that the technology is going to work. So, you know, that was the first set of challenges, just just building the bare bones of the business. You know, then it was finding our first customers, and gosh, we were selling to anyone and you know everyone and anyone who would (laughs) buy it. We had a we had a political think tank as a client. We had a fashion trend forecasting business as a client. You know, we had this crazy Wolf of Wall Street character who had recently sold his, his, his hedge fund business, and he, he wanted an algorithm to kind of trade stocks and shares. And I actually remember he was, I think, one of our first, if not our first paying customer. And I remember him saying, all right, I'll sign up for your, your, your algorithm. You know, it's going to help me stock pick. You know, how much do you charge? And so I said, oh, well, I better call you back. And I sat down with Miguel and Wes, my, our CTO. And I said, you know, how much do we charge? And Wes said, oh, £1,000 a month. And Miguel said... Three thousand pounds a month, and so I called back the Wall Street character and I said, "It's fifteen thousand pounds a month." And he said, "Fine, I'll sign up for twelve months." And we put down the phone. And I said, "Damn it, I should have charged thirty
0: <laughs> A great lesson about BTV pricing is is such a funny debate. uh Pricing and BTV, yeah, great learning. Exactly.
1: Yeah, so I mean, each of these phases, you know, certainly in those early days, we were we were figuring things out as we went along. And then, you know, rarely it became, as we started acquiring more customers, really refining our product market fit and our focus. And, you know, I remember reading the book, crossing the chasm and, you know, the penny dropping for me. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Not having a business degree, you know, reading this book and be, this is how you go about building, you know, market, market penetration. And so we, we really started to zone in and focus on a couple of very, very specific use cases in the enterprise and a very specific, you know, customer profile. And that that really helped us build those beachheads, which then helped us grow and, and, and scale in a much more consistent and, and predictable manner. And then, you know, we start we, we, we realized, you know, the business required capital to, to accelerate our growth. And so, you know, raising that first seed round um, and Series A and, 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 you know, each of those phases have thrown up a series of different challenges and now you know we're, we're, we're 200 odd people and um we're in london new york and, and hong kong you know sort of geographically spread and you know the challenges that we face today are extremely different but but no less um captivating and and, and rewarding uh, in terms of grappling with them yeah.
0: And what kind of inflection points did you have between the phases? So you went from from vision to finding the first customer, or I guess vision, then M- MVP, minimum yes. lovable product, I guess, the first customer, then finding product market fit, focusing on specific use cases, and then scaling the business, you know, putting, putting money to work. Uh, launching new offices, amazing two hundred people today. Like, what were kind of the inflection points? What did you learn? How to move from one phase to the other? You know, if you ever did this again, I'm sure you would kind of cycle through the phases faster.
1: Yes, yes, yeah. No, it's a great question, and 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 I think, gosh, hard to hard to encapsulate all of the learnings because they're you know they're they're just so many. But I think I think certainly in, in from a kind of aggregate perspective. It's it's being sensitive and hyper aware of those different inflection points and trying to sense them and spot them early because I think certainly you know it, it, what works from the from the previous phase won't work for the for the new phase and so you have to have this kind of continuous. I believe this continuous openness to changing the operating model of the business to helping grow and develop the team that work around you to selectively bring in, you know, more senior and experienced talent to help you, you know, grow through that next phase of the journey and kind of sensing, you know, you know, having that intimate handle on okay gosh things are changing you know we've reached a new inflection point you know i'm 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 going through one right now where as i say this this 200 number that we were just about to reach of of staff members is is another kind of Dunbar moment it's another inflection point in the way that we you know, the way that we set strategy, the way that we cascade our objectives and the way we measure performance across the business has to change over this next phase. You know, we're, we're now truly international, the way we embed our culture and our values, um, the way we hire, the way we, the way we grow, the way we enable people to, to, to develop and learn within the business, you know, all of those things are going to have to change and evolve over this next phase if we're going to be successful at scaling through this particular period. So at an aggregate level, at each of those inflection points that you, you Mentioned there, I think it's just about having that openness that you know and an awareness that things do have to change, and being kind of brave and forthright in in affecting that change. But also, I you know I'm, I've always been acutely aware as a first-time founder of what I do um, and, and what I don't know, and the don't know is, is is often much larger than what I do know. And so that's for me about you know surrounding myself with great people on my team who I can learn from and, and rely on. It's increasingly about building a Board that can support me, and and actually using the board as a tool, not not just as a, a kind of afterthought or you know a, 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 a checkbox uh, to tick. And it's yeah, as I say, trying to be as open and as I guess humble as I can be in in in, in learning and and iterating my my own capabilities and self, you know, to make sure that we can effectively grow and scale through these next phases.
0: I love these reflections. Thanks for sharing, David. And. and- I guess just on a more personal level, what is it that you learned about yourself, your leadership preferences, your biases? like you must have grown so much as a leader, as a CEO of 200 people today. Mm. Um, you know, talk me through that, not you know from phase one to to five, but just kind of the big milestone re- reflections, I guess
1: yeah i think i think you
0: learn i've i've certainly learned a
1: huge amount about myself and and both my strengths and my weaknesses and and kind of where you know where i can affect change in the business positively and 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 where i can play the most impactful role and and also the parts that perhaps i'm 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 less Strong and, and and developed on, and where I'm going to re, you know rely on my team and my leadership team to support fill those gaps, and and just being trying to be as acutely aware of those elements as I as I can be. And I think you know, all leaders are, are, are very different and have different strengths. You know, I certainly am a leader, I guess, who you know is most natural actually outside of the business rather than inside of the business. You know, I I love spending time with customers. I love you know sharing our vision for the business with uh, large clients, with partners, with investors, with potential new hires. And then I love bringing those insights back into the organization, hopefully to to try and inspire or challenge or, you know, kind of show the art of the possible to, to the leadership team and to the wider organization. And, I, you know, I care deeply about our culture and our values and the people who work here and feel that in many ways, you know, as best as I can, I have to kind of lead by example and 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 try and be a you know a figurehead that that, that the people in the organisation can look to to kind of demonstrate and espouse those those values. You know, what what I'm far less strong on is actually actually operational details is is making that engine work at scale. And whilst I've had to play both of those roles, you know, after you know through the many early phases of the business, increasingly now I, I, I'm surrounding myself with a talented team who are, you know, much more competent, much more experienced or knowledgeable in both their particular domain, but also in how to build the mechanics, you know, how to get that engine working, you know, through these these later stages of growth. And I think my role is to, to be that holder of the vision, is to ensure that we have... The guardrails and the framework you know to, to continue to be ruthlessly focused on realizing that vision and to bring in great talent great investors great partners to help us realize that vision but then you know working closely with my leadership team who who as i say are much better placed to then help us figure out you know okay we we want to get to scotland you know we're in london and we want to get to scotland are we going to take the you know the bus the ferry the train and, and in order
0: you know <laughs> I, I love that focus on um, on self-awareness and really kind of knowing what energizes you, what are you best at, and then really answering that question, what is it that only David can do and then having kind of, I guess, the confidence to you know delegate a lot and, and outsource a lot to people who have done it before and who are much more knowledgeable. Um, mm. So huge, huge respect to, to you for doing that. And you mentioned the board. I guess everyone deserves the board they have. You know, you mentioned kind of using the board um, as a tool. How do you in practice do that? Like, how do you get the best out of the board?
1: Yeah, so I've, I've put in actually quite a lot of effort to that
0: to that process
1: and to make sure that the board is, is a value driver in the organization and something that I can draw from rather than something that I report to or, or feel encumbered by. And I think that, that came with a lot of actually kind of Purposeful and conscious work that, that I did in that regard, and you know, I think it's very important, particularly with investor directors. You know, and I, and I won't sit here and 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 uh, and generalise about them as a group, but but you know, I, I think you have to work to equalise the relationship in some way, and actually. You know simple things like actually getting the board to present ideas to you or you know doing round table or um you know brainstorming sessions around a whiteboard you know get getting board members to get up on their feet and you know get the pen in their hand as opposed to just pre- presenting and obviously there's a you know there's a cadence within the board that, that is important in terms of reporting back performance and flagging issues and, and and topics with which one wants to deep dive but then in unpicking those issues and topics i think you know certainly my my when i started out my kind of immediate kind of a response to, to to issues was oh i need to now explain you know how i'm gonna solve that particular issue and i need to report you know how i'm gonna Um, deal with this particular matter. And actually by creating this more kind of collaborative environment where actually a board member has just as much responsibility to contribute to the solution as they do to to kind of surfacing the challenge, I think has created a much more kind of uh, a much better equilibrium where actually we're working in, in kind of symphony and harmony. And so you know, outside of the, the normal board cadence, you know, we do these quarterly uh, strategic check-ins and we do these half year off sites. And during those off sites, you know, everyone rolls their sleeves up and contributes as they, as if they were an executive. And I think that's been, that's been very helpful. And then more recently, I've added a a, a chairman and, you know, he he he's a phenomenal individual, a guy called Archie Norman, who... Um, oh, you know, Archie. A,
0: I know Archie really is, well. Say hi to yeah. him. Yes, yeah, he's I will a great do, guy. Absolutely. I love Archer. Yeah,
1: Yes, an amazing titan of British business and yeah. phenomenal phenomenal track record. I mean, he was the youngest ever partner at McKinsey and the youngest ever CFO of the FTSE 100. And, you know, he, he he ran the Conservative Party, I think, under two prime ministers. And, you know, he, an MP in government whilst also being a CEO of the FTSE 100, and then has gone on to be this chair of, you know, ICV and uh, and, Max Spencer, and uh Spencer,
0: yeah. He's got a couple Spencer. of challenges on his hand. Exactly. Lazar Banks
1: <laughs> doesn't come from this this industry in this world, you know, and, and mm. therefore I think he's actually hopefully enjoying learning as much as I'm learning from him. Um, I think he's learning a lot about, about this environment of software and SaaS and and AI and machine learning and building a scalable tech company, you know. And but from him, I've been learning, you know, these very, very deep kind of tenants of of how to build and successfully organize a business how to kind of drive a, a a culture of high performance how to how to galvanize an organization around a vision um, you know, and how to problem solve and uh, and navigate the business on a day-to-day basis. Um, and he's also brought a kind of dynamic of kind of experience and and kind of rigor and, and kind of this measured approach to the way that we interact at a, board, at a board level as well. So he's been a phenomenal addition to our board setup. And then I've, I've also added recently a non-exec director, Sarah Wood. Um, she's in a phenomenal entrepreneur who founded Unruly Media. And yeah, she's and
0: awesome. Board. I know her too. Yes,
1: yes. With her. More oh, you know, world. Her, very deep academic background. And, you know, she just brings that, you know, that brilliant entrepreneurial spirit that, you know, that, that, that insight and focus on product and people and and culture. And so, you know, complimenting the investor directors who I have on the board who who bring a different quality and a different value and kind of balancing that as well with, with some more of this kind of executive experience, I think has also been a very valuable um, kind of evolution to the, to the board construct.
0: Yeah, I mean, you've got amazing independent nets, um, Archie, Sarah, um, they're both remarkably curious leaders and remarkably close to detail uh, and just great, great, great people. So I guess summarizing your your tips, I would say um, co-creation of content, less selling, more transparency so that everyone kind of has the same information. And then independent, uh, Ned's fantastic, fantastic suggestions. Um, thanks a lot for sharing. And then, if you focus on you as a leader, I guess you've got Archie, you've got Sarah, you've got the board. But how do you still grow as a leader? You've got 200 people. You still wanna build a much, much bigger company. Like, what's what's the way you keep yourself uh, on your toes? I guess to be the best possible CEO you can be.
1: Yes, yes, great question. So I'd say my my secret source to that is has been and, and continues to be the fact I've, I've worked with the same executive coach since starting the company and actually that executive coach phenomenal phenomenal guy and he you know his background is actually in in, in psychology he's got a number of degrees in, in different forms of psychology and then uh, actually moved more into kind of organizational psychology and organizational kind of consulting etc but because of his background in psychology actually we, we've spent a huge amount of time and I work with him now for 8 years which is a which is a, you know a very very long run uh, and so we're very very close he knows me incredibly well he knows the business incredibly well but the the kind of the, the approach and the work that we do together is 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 very focused on emotional intelligence and awareness and it's it's deeply about trying to understand the, my my personal strengths and weaknesses, and and trying to ensure that I continue to work on some of those strengths and we, uh, some of those weaknesses, and 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 fill the gaps in in my makeup. But also, you know, lean in on my strengths and 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 spend more time adding value to the company by leaning in on those. You know, I think ultimately being a great business leader. Slowly but surely, the IQ part of it actually becomes less relevant. You but you do less yourself. You know, you 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 have your hand on on less kind of sole contribution, and actually becomes much more about you know building a great team on galvanizing that that group on conflict resolution on being able to connect with people, and and I think self awareness and emotional intelligence you know becomes rapidly you know significantly more important than your underlying intellectual intelligence. And I I also think emotional intelligence lets you grow faster because you become more aware of where your strengths and, and weaknesses are. And so actually that weekly session that I run with him, that ability to go into a very safe space where I can trust him absolutely intimately and where I can be very, very open about my concerns, my fears, but also the things that I'm excited by and just have this kind of objective you know, feedback and this objective interaction, but with someone who's coming at it from a perspective of of EQ and awareness, has been really, really powerful for me uh, on a personal basis, and I think imperative to to, to my ongoing growth as as a, as a business leader. Uh,
0: I I love that point. It's amazing that you had the same coach for eight years. I I probably had eight coaches in the last nine years and have massively benefited from it. And I think, as you said. Yes, the predictive utility of high IQ increases as business complexity grows. But as you said, the real differentiator is not IQ, it's, it's uh, EQ. And as the stakes get higher and higher, as you cycle through all these phases, like EQ becomes so, so, so important. You know, vision, culture, really understanding your people, Raising the bar, hiring world class people, but understanding how they tick and what makes them tick, and you know what are their kind of motivators um is so 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 crucial so love, love that piece of advice um thanks for sharing i've I've rarely ever talked to anyone who's got weekly coaching, which I find really amazing mm. i I should probably consider that mm. yeah,
1: no, I found that to be just. Just that hour a week is, it's just a different space and it's a space to be very reflective. And, you know, as, as, as entrepreneurs and business leaders, we're, we're completely overwhelmed and there's always something important to, to work on or deal with. (laughs) Always, Um, And there's very little opportunity to reflect and, and just take a moment to really, to, to think in a safe space and to, to, to share in an open way and to, to vent sometimes and, share frustrations etc you know and, and when we do have downtime whether it's with family and or friends or you know exercise all of these really important other um having fun socializing all of these things that are really important i think to, to continue to have a, a, a balanced life etc um you know that safe space that weekly moment just to to kind of be a bit more reflective i think has been very powerful uh, powerful for me, and then the other piece that I would mention as well, which again is, is probably fairly obvious, but 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 it has been quite transformative, is that you know the, the peer networks one is connected into. I think can be very can be very powerful as well, and you know there's there's a number of different ways you can you can plug into into those, whether that's at events or and whether that's connecting individually with 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 peers. And then I'm I'm part of a couple of different like WhatsApp groups, for example, which have be very actually very powerful and useful for me because they've become very open again safe spaces. Where, where where other founders are sharing very openly some of the challenges. And sometimes they're very tactical. It's, you know, has anyone, you know, how do you guys manage your EMI option scheme? But sometimes they're, you know, they're actually, you know, very, very strategic and very personal, had an approach to be acquired. You know, might be, someone might post in a WhatsApp group. And then people who have gone through that experience, you know, come in with their advice and their counsel and, and how to handle those sorts of situations effectively. So that sort of peer knowledge and sharing, I think, has been also very powerful. And if I compare, even in the eight years since our planning signal, I think the market has, of course, you know, grown exponentially with the number of founders who have grown and scaled their business and raised venture capital and exited, and so you know, starting to probably become more similar to that sort of Silicon Valley West mm-hmm. Coast community, which kind of rely enormously on one another to to support and and grow and evolve together. So it's great to see the kind of London tech scene and, and even what you're doing here with this podcast uh, is another example of of kind of building that sort of network connectivity that hopefully helps other people to to grow successfully too.
0: Uh, I agree. And so we talked about coaching, we talked about peer networks. What about, you know, habits? Um, There's so much noise in today's world. And obviously, as the CEO of Signal AI, you wake up and, you know, you could look at LinkedIn or, you know, social media, or you probably have 50 emails in your inbox. Like, how do you create, you know, a day that really focuses on what's important the top 2 3 things you want to get done you know do you have any any tips you can share well i think it's i think it's exactly as you're describing
1: i think you have to step outside of of the melee and think very consciously about how to organize oneself And sometimes that doesn't actually come to a uh, to to an entrepreneur. I am not naturally the most organised with my own time, and so I've again, this is where surrounding yourself with good people. My kind of executive assistant, Ola, is phenomenal, and she's worked with a bunch of entrepreneurs similar to me before. And and actually, that sort of close dynamic and our working collaboration is is critical because what we do is we look at you know we look at my strategic goals and we look at the strategic goals of the business, and then we are very prescriptive in in aligning the time that I'm spending to ensure that I'm achieving and prioritizing those goals. Because, you know, we can absolutely, as a CEO and entrepreneur, fill the time allotted with a million and one things. But actually you need to be very considered and conscious about how you're spending your time. And so that both then reflects in in the weeks in the calendar, you know, and and what meetings I do or don't take or what I am and I'm not prioritizing. But it also then feeds into the things that I, I need to talk about and prioritize, for example, with my reports and with people who work around me, Because again, you know, you can sit down with one of your direct reports and I'm sure, you know, could come up with 20 or 30 or 40 things that you need to talk about, but often are they the, you know, are they the things that are really going to move the dial? And so trying to get that sort of alignment between the vision, the long-term strategic objectives, the kind of medium-term strategic objectives, and then the, the kind of tactics that you have in play that are going to achieve those 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 longer-term objectives, are we focusing our effort and our bandwidth on the initiatives that are really going to move the dial, and and that and that is a discipline, and it doesn't necessarily actually come very naturally to me to do, do that. Um, but I think just taking that step to think about your the way you spend your time, to actually write down how you're going to use that time with your reports, and and more broadly to feed back into those long term goals has been very powerful for me in 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 then making sure that I'm focusing on the right stuff.
0: Yeah, and I think if you if you draw a very basic illustration of the five distinct phases uh you've gone through and then kind of on the x-axis you draw you know the the impact you're having with each unit of time i mean it's literally a straight line right the bigger the the business gets the more impact you will ultimately have on the business um and you take fewer decisions but these are bigger decisions and so i love the focus on intentionality uh, and and kind of i guess self-organization uh it's probably the biggest theme for me for you know, the last couple of years uh, and and definitely for the next couple of years. And do you have, uh, do you have any tips for me? How have you got (laughs) Well, I think, I think, look, coaching habits, peer networks, all that makes perfect sense. I think for me, it's always about taking time out of the business, thinking very deeply about where the business will be in, in six months, 12 months, 18 months, and then thinking about how, the pressures on my diary will change, which which stakeholders inside, outside the business will need more time. What are my strategic goals? What are the business's strategic goals? And then on the other hand, what gives me energy? What motivates me? What are my core strengths? You know, and how do I bridge the two? What more can I mm-hmm. delegate? What do I mm-hmm. outsource? where's kind of the, the growth opportunity for my leadership team to absorb 30% of the stuff I do today. And then being mega disciplined and, and intentional about these things and executing them, the amazing support network I, I've got around me is super important. And mm. then I wake up next quarter and I need to do it again because all of a sudden exactly. the company has grown so much. It's amazing.
1: Yes, exactly. Exactly. It never stays still, which is, uh, which is part of the part of the fun of course
0: definitely and so we talked so much about success but what about failure can you share like, any story around failure anything you you've struggled on that journey oh gosh i
1: mean the the yeah the challenges and and, and failures have been uh, have been countless and i think you know i think that that's natural and and needs mm-hmm. to be acknowledged and and even celebrated because i think that's where you do your best your best learning and you know we we've gone through lots of Different challenges, you know, whether that's, you know, hiring, you know, the wrong people at the wrong time and the learnings of how to spot, you know, where where you've made those mistakes and how to move quickly and decisively, because actually it ends up being better. You learn in the long run for, for, for not only just for the company, but also for that individual as well. And so that's that's been a huge learning for me, how to try and spot those signs, how to try and avoid hiring the wrong person in the in the first place and <laughs> taking you know taking the time to to really understand culture fit and to really understand. A person's drivers and motivators and background, and, and and whether that's going to mesh well within the organisation. So there's been countless of those examples. You know, we 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 work in a in a fascinating and very fast changing environment in 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 the signal world specifically, where we have um, you know numerous partners who provide us data and who we work with to extract insight and 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 intelligence from that data, and that itself comes with a whole host of challenges around you know ensuring that we manage and protect their data. Effectively and the, the 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 way that we deliver that to clients, and actually in many ways we have a, a very large responsibility to be a custodian and uh, and to and to you know manage that 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 process and be that conduit in an effective way. And so there's been huge uh, learnings related to that. And then also I think you know a business like Signal, there's always this 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 tension you know and and trade off between actually kind of short term. Kind of revenue growth if you like and acceleration versus long-term value creation and ip creation for example and and, mm. and often you're trying to find the alignment between those two things and make sure that you're getting the balance right but sometimes actually they can be in conflict with one another mm. and so for a business like signal where the applications of what we've developed are so broad uh, and the potential is so great you know, prioritization and, and and making those choices and understanding those trade-offs is is probably one of the biggest challenges uh, for me as a leader and for us as an organization. And so, you know, it comes back to that ability to be considered and, and focused and the prioritization becomes absolutely critical. Um, and knowing when, you know, knowing when to pull that lever of short-term versus long-term and, and you know, different times in the business and different parts of the cycle uh, that you're going through uh, will require you to pull that lever in different directions.
0: And, and that challenge will only grow and grow and grow, <laughs> indeed, indeed. Um, but it's a fun challenge to have. It's a great, great luxury problem um, to have. And the one theme that really comes across strongly is that in the early days you fail fast and today you succeed slowly. You know, in the early days, you just kind of made up the price point you charge the hedge fund manager. Yes. Today, you probably have you know long board deliberations or leadership team deliberations to kind of find the right pricing strategy and agree it. Yes. So, how how is a leader, and I guess as an organization, how do you train yourself to think differently?
1: Yeah, it's very, it's very difficult. Again, I think a lot of that comes from the surrounding of, you know, surrounding oneself with, with the right people who have the right experience and who can help kind of institute these new processes. So I think again, like, like anything, it's also about trying to find a balance because on one hand, you know, that entrepreneurial spirit, that ability to move fast, to break things quickly, to iterate, or to experiment, and, and then to take the learnings from those experiments and, and, and drive increased performance and enhancement for the business is, is what differentiates, you know, an organization. organization. Organization like signal, perhaps from some of the more legacy incumbents that dominate our market. And that's what that's what's given us our ability to to, to penetrate and disrupt the market. So you don't want to lose that attitude and that culture. And yet at the same time, as I mentioned earlier, the things that worked historically aren't necessarily the things that are going to work in the future. And so you also have to mature the organization. You have to introduce the right set of processes and the right sort of deliberations as you describe it when it comes to very fundamental strategic decisions. So finding that balance i i I have no silver bullet for it and and you know often that comes through good healthy open conversations with one's leadership team i believe you know the ability to challenge one another constructively and in a safe environment you know the a healthy dose of of tension both with your you know within your team and also with your with, with your board but always in the context of a very supportive and collaborative environment and i think that enables one to unpick those knotty issues and to strike that balance effectively between, you know, moving fast and being entrepreneurial and making decisions quickly, whilst also making sure that one becomes more measured and considered in, in, in some of these larger strategic areas. You know, my natural tendency remains, and I guess that's maybe my entrepreneurial spirit. I'll make, you know, I can make decisions quickly and sometimes off the seat in my pants and using intuition and, and instinct. And in part, that's what's got our business here. But I have to be aware now that actually the pieces need to be moved slightly differently and decisions need to be made in a slightly different construct. And so actually ensuring and allowing the space to, to build those frameworks and those processes for decision making that enable more inputs, I think is critical as well for the business as we continue to scale and grow.
0: Yeah. And as you say, it's a huge kind of framework operating model question i mean on a personal level for me the question is how out of 100 decisions how do i push 90 into the front line and and not be involved Mm. um and then of the 10 that are kind of remaining what are the ones that are one-way door decisions which ones are two-way door decisions and so the one-way decisions are the ones that are huge impact and I can't, you know, change them. I can't just walk back and take the next door. Yes. And so really kind of zooming in on these and then spending all the time I have on these over weeks or months um, is really important. Just shifting the topic slightly, I'd love to get your perspective on AI and the future of technology, a bit broader, Mm. uh, more crystal ball. But Mm -hmm. first, like, explain to me what AI actually is used for at Signal.
1: Yeah, so I mean, I think, I think the topic of AI is, 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 is. Often very misunderstood. And I, I, I'm a huge proponent of what I call augmented intelligence as opposed to artificial intelligence. And, you know, I, I actually think that, you know, true examples of artificial intelligence uh, existing today are, are quite rare and, 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 and arguably very few and far between. But what is, you know, very prominent and becoming, you know, deeply embedded in almost every corner and aspect of our lives, both our personal and and, and and work lives is using these technologies like machine learning, natural language processing, neural network technology to augment the way we do things already. And when I talk about augmentation, that could be everything from, you know, ordering Uber, uh, ordering an Uber, finding a new song on Spotify to, you know, what we do, which is sifting through the world's external information and and drawing out insights that hopefully augment and assist the way business leaders make decisions. So the way our platform works is, you know, we aggregate a, a truly vast array of data, you know, from the world's news media in 200 markets and 100 languages, much of the world's social media data, the the billion tweets posted a day to the world's regulatory data covering 175 jurisdictions and over two and a half thousand regulators um the world's broadcast so global coverage of tv and radio it's about seven thousand tv and radio channels that we automatically transcribe from audio and video into text and back to the audio video files and then increasingly what we describe as alternative data sets which are structured information quantitative data financial performance of organizations survey data that might be you know an organization might run and you know our first core competency we built out is our ability to just harness this vast deluge this vast array of unstructured data and and and, and aggregate it into a single platform on a on a real time basis and then the application of machine learning and ai Is essentially this pipeline that we've developed where all of that data flows through this series of components, each of which extracts some form of knowledge or insight or context from the data. And so we are very proficient at recognizing and extracting concepts, themes, and topics from the data of disambiguating entities, telling the difference between Apple the fruit and Apple the company, of mining that data for sentiment, of clustering similar documents together, of ranking the information, of translating it, of looking for anomalies, etc. Etc. Cetera, et cetera. None of those individual machine learning components that we built are a silver bullet, but they let us take this vast deluge of data and kind of extract this layer of knowledge from it. And then there's a second layer of machine learning where our customers can train up those models that we've developed with their own proprietary knowledge and domain expertise. And this enables them to create their own taxonomies or digitize their own frameworks or build out their own set of signals with which to apply to the data in a much more personalized fashion. And so all of that. T- Technology and data sits within our platform. And then on top of that platform, we have a number of ways that we bring that value that we've generated in the platform to our customers. We have a suite of SaaS products that let customers monitor, track, follow the things they care about and derive insights from, from, from visualizing trends and patterns within that data, discovering what we would describe as unknown unknowns, things they didn't know were out there that could be relevant or impactful for their business. We have a suite of API products that let clients integrate that value into their own products and workflow. They can plug signal into their CRM or into a business intelligence tool like Tableau and combine our external perspective with the internal data that they have inside of their organization. And then we finally, uh, our third go to market is what we call co creation, where we partner with large multinational organizations who want to build their own products and services on top of our platform and then sell those products and services to their own market. So, you know, Deloitte, as an example, built out a global suite of tax regulation and compliance products on our platform, or EY have built out a suite of audit products that enable them to measure non-financial metrics as part of the audit process or the UK government. Uh, and, and we have been working on a vaccine hesitancy project to then be sold across to other G7
0: governments, etc. And so, I mean... By the sounds of it, it sounds like you have a set of technologies. None of them is is crazy kind of difficult, but the way you apply them is totally unique and, and kind of means that Signal AI has an amazing proposition, very unique differentiated value proposition. But if you kind of fast forward by the next 10 years... You know, what will impact the world the most in the next 10 years? Is it the application of existing technologies or is it the development of new technologies?
1: I think it's a combination of both. I mean, if you, if you think about what Signal does, you know, the sheer volume, you know, the terabytes of data, the billions and billions of documents that we're processing on a daily basis. I mean, even a decade ago, it just would have been price prohibitive and yeah. computationally impossible to do what we what we do, probably the, the advancement of the capabilities that we've developed and others are developing around extracting insight from that information. And, you know, the, the work we're starting to do around, for example, anomaly detection and, and proximity scoring and prediction you know essentially mm-hmm. is the next wave of of innovation in in this particular area the ability to spot crises or events from the environment before an organization was even aware that they exist you know the the, the changing dynamic the nuanced changing dynamic of a of an organization to a particular issue or risk or topic that we're surfacing again you know very powerfully produced from from the technology we've developed in our knowledge graph and then I think it's about the application. You know, what, what, what problem are you solving within the organization? I mean, ultimately, these technologies are increasingly becoming ubiquitous, in in some cases, open sourced. Um, you know, it's less about having the best algorithm, and it's more about how do you apply that particular technology to, to solve a, a, a real problem? Um, and that's why we've seen a shift from, you know, horizontal technology businesses in the, in the AI space to more verticalized. Uh, applications, you know, actually solving real problems for for for, for real use cases. But I think it will, I think it will continue to be a combination of those different things. I mean, I think it will be there will continue to be great advancements and leaps made in the technology as there as there have been mm-hmm. rapidly in the last ten years. I think the ability to to process increasingly large sums and 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 both the volume and the variety of data one is able to ingest into these machine learning and AI based products. The trainability of the technology is, is fundamental and obviously mm-hmm. Signal, you know, you talk about what what differentiates us. I mean, we've been capturing domain expertise from our clients for nearly a decade now and feeding that into our algorithms. So we know what business people know and, and you know, that becomes a very differentiated and defensible data set with which to train the technology. And then finally, you know, as I say, the, the application and understanding how you can actually solve uh, real problems for all, for organisations is is very critical. I mean, as I mentioned earlier on the topic of artificial intelligence, you know, and, and our current understanding of of true you know true awareness of a technology, I, I I still have yet to see real practical examples, true examples of that from across industry. But what we are seeing is this technology weave itself into into every aspect and corner of our lives, and and that makes you know the ethical and and regulatory questions and challenges no less relevant or important they're just different it's it's a, it's a nuanced difference to perhaps some of the hyperbole uh, that is used to describe this technology across you know in, in broader forums
0: David, and just as a final question, are we in the age of exponential growth, kind of leading us to all kinds of abundance, or are we in a world where we see kind of 2% growth if we're lucky every single year? Like, do you think technology is accelerating everything? Are we at an inflection point?
1: Yeah, I I definitely feel that the the world is accelerating at a rate that sometimes all of us struggle to fathom uh, and and keep a grip grip on uh, technologies. Driving a lot of that, the the global economy and and the interconnected relationship of 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 the world is driving that. Population is driving that, and I think mm-hmm. we need to make some fairly, you know, stark and 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 tough decisions if we're going to ensure that that acceleration produces the sort of positive outcomes we would all hope for. And I, and of course, you know, whether that relates to climate or what we've just gone through with the global pandemic. You know, one of the things we we are very clear with our clients about global organizations, and I think they're acutely aware of this, it's changing rapidly, is that businesses no longer can just worry about profit margin. You know, they have to be much more conscious about their impact in the world. And the role that they play in driving, you know, a more positive outcome uh, based on that acceleration that you describe. And, you know, again, tools like Signal should be used to, to to shine a spotlight on, you know, where on the footprint that organizations are making, you know, whether that be in your supply chain or, or within your organization yourself. And so, you know, that 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 topic of ESG as it's described is increasingly important for businesses and something that they have to take very seriously, which I think is a good thing.
0: For sure. Um, David, congratulations to all the huge success you've had. Uh, please say hi to your parents. They sound like very, very inspirational people um, to have in your corner. And it's been super fun getting to know you. And thanks for sharing so openly.
1: No, thank you for having me too. I'm, I'm wonderful to uh, to connect uh, properly. And I'll, I'll certainly pass on your regards to my my parents.